In this video today, we're going to talk about how HR adds value to your organisation. Welcome to Profile Tree TV. Today we're at the Innovation Factory and we're with Louise McGeady from Opal People Solutions. And we're just going to introduce her and hear a little bit about her background. So over to you, Louise. Thank you for coming in today. No, thanks for having me. I'm really delighted to be here. So tell us a little bit about what you do and, um, and your background, I suppose. Okay, um, I am um, the principal HR consultant with Opal People Solutions. I founded the company um, three and a half years ago now, having spent 20 plus years largely in food manufacturing and the logistics sector. Um, so um, experience in a wide range of generalist um, HR issues. Okay, and so in your role, um, what are your main services? What do you offer a business as part of being an HR consultant? Um, that really depends on what the client needs are. Um, so for some very, very small organisations, they just want, um, they have a particular issue and they just want to kind of pay as you go. Um, and so they dip in and out of my services as and when um, they require. Some of the smaller or bigger organisations rather are probably 20 plus, um, typically work on a support contract basis with me. Um, so they have unlimited telephone, email, document support um, and that tends to cover a lot of complex ER issues. Um, so particular grievances or disciplinaries, probation reviews, those sorts of things that really are about risk to their business that they want to make sure that they have expert advice. Um, I also work then and it's the field that I particularly enjoy um, because those relationships tend to be a bit transactional um, so I only hear from clients when they're experiencing problems um, and where HR really adds value um, is in terms of working with the client as their HR business partner. Um, so I have a number of clients that they do operate on a support contract as well but I also have a relationship where I spend maybe a half day a week or a day a month um, with those businesses so that I really understand the issues that they're experiencing and I can be much more proactive rather than the reactive that I would have with the transactional um, relationships. Which I suppose is so important actually having that proactive support and um, things put in place, policies put in place so that you're actually prepared in case anything does happen and I think that's probably an issue that small businesses generally have because they maybe don't have that support so would you work a lot with small businesses in terms of putting that structure in place yeah I mean small businesses are my they are my ideal client um, you know I typically work on an outsource basis with those um, so they are at a stage where they are employing people so that brings with it risk um, but they're not big enough that would justify having full-time HR support um, so they basically work with me um, because it gives them just some peace of mind that they have the expert advice at the end of a phone. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, policies and procedures are the first thing that I look for. Um, I also have a number of referral partners, for example, that, that help me grow my business. And it's the first thing that they are aware of when, when they go to refer me. It's if somebody says, we don't have any policies and procedures, we don't have um, terms and conditions, we don't have a company handbook. And that's the kind of almost a hook um, that they would recognise as someone that would need my services. So it's the very first, but it's the very, very basic function of HR in all honesty. Um, you know, when when people ask me what is HR, um, it, it's 
all things to all people in many respects. I mean, there are some organisations and they're really looking for the old fashioned personnel, if you like, um, the people person, the, the trustworthy face that all the employees go to. Um, then, you know, the next stage of that would kind of be the hire and the fire and everything in between. Um, but where HR really adds value is um, becoming a strategic HR pro um, partner to those businesses um, that brings that f business forward, um, transitions it um, from startup into through the growth phase and makes it fit for future. Yeah, and I suppose actually you would be very a, a key element in that developing that business growth and actually allowing businesses to grow because as you say they go from probably being very small and not having a lot of staff to maybe mm -hmm. going through a growth or a transition phase where they maybe jump from one to ten staff and having someone like you in place along that journey makes it probably a more seamless um, growth phase and also they know that they have the support there to, to support that growth because as you say once that comes into place and you're dealing with staff it becomes a lot trickier especially for people that maybe aren't experienced. Yeah and I mean we, we probably focus a wee bit too much on risk and if you if you define your people strategy from when you have approximately five employees, if you really think how you want to operate as a business, you put those processes in place so you never actually end up having that employee relations culture, the more risky strategy. Um, so I'm working with a client at the minute. Um, they have 11 employees um, and we have really been looking for the past three to four weeks on a full people strategy. Um, so yesterday, for example, we locked in and really worked with the entire organisation, the entire team, um, and we defined the vision, the mission and the values. Those employees are 100% bought in and aligned with that company vision now um, and they are aiming for a huge goal um, so we will then put in place and um, define the roles and responsibilities define the accountabilities accountabilities are critical um, in an organization that people understand exactly what their role is and what they're going to be held accountable for and what they're expected to deliver and it's important that that, that there are measurements put in place obviously um, to to check where you are against that journey. As I say, those people have absolutely agreed what they're going to be held accountable for and we can put reward and recognition strategies in place and those aren't about adding cost to the business because if your employees are delivering over and above what you ever expected them to, then you should be able to reward and you should be able to afford um, to recognise that. And fundamentally, you want to keep your people, you want to keep good people, um, because the cost of losing staff can be anything like 250% of the cost um, to replace the, those individuals. Um, so good staff um, are, are definitely important that you invest in them. Yeah, and I think what you said there is really, really important as well, about the staff buying in and being involved in the vision. And I think that that, especially when you're in a business growth phase and um, establishing that culture is obviously very very important yeah I mean I've, I've um, come from corporate background um, where the vision and mission and values are decided from way up the ladder and they're cascaded down through the organization it's exceptionally hard to get by and no matter how hard you try um, and it's very very hard for people to remember what exactly the core values are because they maybe haven't been involved in them um, whereas you know as, as I talked about the team that I'm involved with at the minute we've taken from about 15 values that they felt were really important and we worked through them 
defining through a number of checklists. So one, one test, for example, is if this value wasn't in place with this organisation, would you be prepared to leave? And to a man, they agreed that they would leave if integrity, for example, was critical to them. Um, passion was really, really important to them. Um, so if that wasn't available in the business, they would look elsewhere um, to get those values. Which, as you say, it's just so important to actually go to the employees and mm -hmm. see what they actually value mm -hmm. and what their core values are. Because, as, as you say, that needs to be part of your culture and built upon yeah. rather than you dictating and saying these are our core values because what you might see as important as a business or you know as a CEO or a director may not be important mm. to your staff. And I think a lot of the time what, what happens is, is people come up with values that they think the organisation should have as opposed yeah. to and, and so those values are never aligned with the actual reality of company culture. Um, so when you can start from a very, very early stage of your growth and get people bought in, those values will stay. Because one of the tests was, will these values be relevant in 100 years from now? And absolutely, they will be. Yeah, and I love the fact that you've gone through that process with mm, the company mm. as well. So it's not just a matter where everyone sits down, they write down a bit of paper and you collate it all together and that's it. It's yeah. been a real discussion and a, a, a strategy where everybody has been involved and worked through, which just is so much more meaningful, isn't mm. it, as a process? And, and probably so something in fairness, Michelle, that you know when, when we came up with the concept of that this was, was what we were going to do, you wonder how employees are going to react um, because each session's two hours. And that is a long time to get people to give up their day job um, and come and focus on this. Those sessions absolutely fly and in some cases have run over slightly and the people are absolutely 100% engaged in that process. And the CEO is delighted. And that's brilliant. And, and, and you say it just the whole team coming together mm -hmm. and actually working together as one mm -hmm. is, is meaningful in itself. Yeah. Um, and just back to, you mentioned referral partners because I'm really interested in that as well. So you mentioned you have referral partners. What does that actually mean? Um, I suppose I got involved because my business had been running for probably two and a bit years. Um, and I was facing having to go back into full-time employment because I had a deep-seated paradigm that I couldn't sell. Um, so I needed to find a way of growing my business that didn't involve cold calling and constantly feeling as though I was hustling for business. Um, and I heard Lisa Strutt from Ascent of NI um, talking at an event that I was at. Um, and she was talking about building relationships um, within and building networks, solid networks around you of people who are invested in your business and helping you grow your business. Um, so I did that program for six months um, and I actually went last week um, as a guest for Lisa and we did an exercise that I obviously completed a year ago which was looking at who was in my network. Um, I have to say I've scored out some names of people that were in my network because they're not active in my network anymore but my network has expanded exponentially. It's incredible and I tend to meet people that absolutely get relationship building and are really interested in helping you grow your business. And for me, it's about a giving activity. I give without any expectation of return. And it's a very natural process for me now. Um, I'm constantly seeing opportunities where I know someone who would benefit your business. And I'm very, very open 
to making that recommendation to you. And that's not selling because if I can't sell for myself, I'm certainly not going to sell for somebody else. It's where I see a genuine opportunity for you and somebody that's in my, in my network that I believe will help you and your business grow. And I'm more than happy to connect those people. And obviously I get um, reciprocal relationships in return. And a lot of it is giving out good karma and it, it comes back to you in some shape or form in the future. Yeah, and, and building those relationships is so important because you know we've had people and we've talked about networking and networking in itself, it's it's a necessary evil sometimes, mm, mm. Um, but it doesn't always feel comfortable or natural. Whereas what you're talking about, building relationships, seems much more um, genuine. Yeah, and you know, I, I totally get what you're saying there. I used to go to network events, and when I went home, my husband would say to me, well, did you get any business? Um, so obviously I didn't get business, and that kind of perpetuated this belief that I wasn't good at networking, um, etc. I now go to events, I still do go to events, um, but I go for relationships on any event. I can actually walk in on my own now um, and I don't feel self-conscious in any shape or form and I know that I will know people there and that's about you know I'm not there for business anymore I'm there to see people again to connect with people again and that puts you always at the forefront of people's minds the more you meet with people obviously I have a very um, tight group of people um, that are my go-to people. Um, they are, you know, there's probably about eight people in my network that are actively involved in helping me and, and me with them as well. And have you any tips or strategies uh, for people that, you know, would really like to get involved in the idea of, you know, referral partnering or building those relationships? Have you any tips that you might be able to give people to help them build that network and have that network working for them? Just to put you on the spot. I <laughs> I would have to shamelessly plug um, Ascenta yeah. um, and Lisa Strutt, have a conversation with her, go along. She's more than happy um, for anyone to come to one of her sessions to see it in operation. Um, that was the catalyst of the change in my business. I would absolutely recognise that. Um, and it's about, you know, probably in the past I would have thought if I phone somebody that I haven't spoken to in two years' time, they'll wonder why I'm doing it or think that I'm using them for something or other. And, and I guess there probably are people that would have that perception, but I surround myself with people who, who absolutely get that relationship building and understand the supportive network. Um, and I'm probably not one that normally would separate women out from, from men and distinguish between gender, but I find in business, women are exceptionally supportive to other women. Um, so they're kind of my tribe. Yeah, and you're right. Um, and you know, and there is a lot about women in business and you know equality and everything at the mm. minute, especially in the media and the news. Yeah. But I think women, you know, because of all that media, are very supportive of each other. And I suppose women and men do think differently, and, and maybe just women feel that women understand them better. Mm. Would you? Would you? I think women have a, a voice that plays in their head. An awful lot um, that tells them that they're not good enough, um, that they can't do something. Um, so those people who have started out on an entrepreneurial journey, I think we've probably all been there. Yeah. Um, and we're at different stages of that journey. And if we can help each other, I think we're more than willing. You know, everyone loves a coffee. 
go along, have a chat. It's an hour out of your day um, to help somebody on their journey and just be supportive and, and encourage them that they're on the right path. Um, you know, as I say, I went to that Ascentive group and, you know, just by sharing with them, because they were probably struggling to see who was on their list. So it was probably a similar size to my list last year, but a year of, of doing this um, and just building those relationships makes such a huge change because instead of me going out looking for business, I have maybe 20 people that's constantly looking for business for me. And obviously when, you know, if you're, if you're trusted by your client and you refer me to your client, that's a, that's a no-brainer for that client. They're going to pick up the phone and they're going to speak to me. So whilst I say that I can't sell, um, I can absolutely tell people about what I do. And if they if they are convinced from what I've said that I'm the right person and that HR is right for their business, then they will buy from me and, and people do buy from people. You yeah, know, So right. your referral um, in the first instance is worth its weight in gold for me. As you say, because you're already telling somebody that you're respected and mm -hmm. you do a good job and you're willing to give that referral for somebody else, they're, you've already built that trust yes. and that relationship. Yeah. So as you say, they're more likely to actually give you a chance and have a chat to you as opposed to looking down the list and thinking, well, I, I'm not sure who to choose here. And, yes, 100%. You know, you're giving yeah. them an informed piece of information already that they can go to, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And how do you choose your networking events? Because it's very difficult, especially when you're, you know, starting into business and, you know, you don't have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. How do you choose what what is good for you and how do you invest your time in networking? Yeah, I mean, there, there, are, there are seasoned networkers um, that tend to be at an awful lot of events. Yes. And I personally would question the value of that because for me, what I tend to do is have coffees. Yeah. I tend to pick up the phone, say, Michelle, fancy grabbing a coffee um, for an hour and let's have a chat. And what I would do is spend my time seeing who's in my network that I think can benefit you. What connections can I make for you? And to me, that is more important than kind of doing a circuit, if you like. Um, I think you absolutely have to go to certain events. And I typically, you know, there are, there are some that I would favour over others. Um, there are some very, very supportive networks that my referral partners belong to. Um, so I'm more comfortable going to some of those events. But I would probably have at least three coffees a week with yeah. three different people. Um, to see how I can benefit them. Yeah, and it makes so much sense. I mean, I went to, I remember going to a How to Network um, thing years ago um, in Lisbon, and it was excellent, it was really, really good. And actually, the gent that was talking, he actually said that the whole aim of going to a networking event should be that you get a coffee mm -hmm. with, with two or three people at the end of it. Yeah. So actually, you're just jumping ahead that step. And, and it made so much more sense because as he said, you're not gonna go to a networking event and just start selling to people yep. because that's, people hate that and it's the worst 100%. thing you possibly do yeah 
equally you're not going to be able to tell people about what you do in probably the first 10 or 20 seconds that you're going to meet them mm -hmm. so you know if you get a coffee with them you get a half an hour to talk about your business and what you do and, and how there might be synergies there and there might not be and as you say it may be that that person maybe never will be somebody that you work with but you might know someone that would be suitable for them to work yeah. with or that yeah. you can connect them so I, I, I see what you're saying there and it makes it means so much more to actually spend a bit of time and get to know someone and what they do and as you say you can refer them or share their contact with other people yeah events I tend to look and see who the speakers are and if the topic is beneficial to me or inspirational I will go to that so I went to an event two weeks ago um, which was women who launch so obviously I am a woman who has launched their business but there were really engaging speakers in that lineup that I wanted to hear and if you take away a couple of nuggets as they say from those I mean there's one I've recently engaged an associate um, and I feel really really bad because I'm getting her to do a lot of the more administration yes. the less value added to me um, my time is much better spent going out and connecting and engaging with new clients and, and getting new work but I need obviously someone who will do a lot of that work and one of the speakers um, she was from a food background um, she had 16 businesses within um, her business and she said get your hands out of the coleslaw yeah. and I thought that's 100% right you know I'm not afraid to, to do that work but I recognise that my value add is um, in other areas than doing yeah. the administrative it's function getting it's working you're getting out of working in the business to working on I, the business isn't it yeah, yeah you know the good old cliche but yeah. it's so true it is so true you can get so bogged up in the you know I've got this client I have to do this and but I'm not doing the sales and not keeping the pipeline going and you know making those relationships and your business essentially can't grow can't scale if you're mm -hmm. literally just completing a contract and then you get to the end and you're like, where do I go again? I'll have to start again. And you've got that stopping and stalling. So I yeah. think it is about delegating and and really thinking about where your value is and using that um, to take your business forward. So if someone's looking for HR, if you're talking about an associate and, and all the different skills there, yeah. if someone's looking for an HR person, what sort of qualities do you think they should be looking for? What's important Ooh. to you? <laughs> Integrity is at the forefront of that list. Um, they must have business ethics and they must act with integrity at all times. Um, they need to be an effective decision maker, an informed decision maker, but um, someone who will be um, very concise in terms yeah. of the advice that they give you. Um, strong communicator, um, somebody who... Um, can make very valid arguments, um, but obviously someone who's prepared to listen at the same time. Um, they need to obviously have, they need to be an expert in HR. Yeah. Um, they need to understand process and they need to understand the law um, yeah. as it applies to organisations. Um, I think they have to have empathy. I think they have to manage business risk um, and how I manage business risk is about, I look and say, is it fair and just for that employee? Um, because if it's not, then it's not the right decision for the business and I'm exposing your business if I make um, yeah. or if I advise you to take action that's not just and not fair. And this sense of justice and fairness is something that I'm very conscious that has been part of my life from 
you know, even as a young child. Um, and I'm not trying to sound like Mother Teresa or anything here or being a goody-goody two-shoes um, because I'm absolutely not. Um, but that sense of justice and fairness in society um, and, and in the workplace is really, really critical for me. Um, so in, in every situation, I will examine whether the decision is right. And I sometimes will get potential clients that phone me asking how they can dismiss somebody. Um, and in that circumstance, I'm not terribly comfortable because I can only advise on process. Yes. Ultimately, I don't know whether it's the right decision to dismiss yeah. this person because I've never had any involvement with the company. Um, however, a company that I'm more actively involved in, that there have been a series of processes that that employee has been through, that we've maybe put them on a performance improvement plan and there has been no change in behaviours, attitude, conduct, etc. Then that is something obviously that I'm prepared to advise on um, yeah. because it's, it's the right decision for the business. Yeah, and that's really interesting as well, where you actually are really thinking about the business and, and you, your background with the business as well, because mm -hmm. you have people that maybe would be offered to do that, give that advice, and they'd maybe just jump in with both feet, but, yeah. you know, actually making that conscious decision to say, look, do you know what, I don't know enough about your business and I can't advise on that. It would be very process led and go through the process rather than actually making that decision. And that's that's about ethics as well, yeah. Michelle. You know, because at the end of the day, more than likely, I would lose that potential business uh, yeah. because I'm not I'm not comfortable in that environment. Um, and and other situations, you know, I've been in with clients. Um, one in particular had asked me to advise on a redundancy scenario, and as we talked through that process, I actually really quickly realized that that was one solution to a bigger problem. Yeah. So we explored a number of different avenues of how we could actually resolve the problem um, that he was experiencing. And that's, for me, what a good HR consultant would do because if we did that redundancy scenario, a tribunal, they're going to ask, what else did you do to avoid a redundancy situation? So I'm sure, you know, that... He wanted the advice of how to manage the redundancy. I did give that to him, but I also opened up into a much wider conversation. Which is so important because sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees. Yeah. And literally, as you say, you just see the redundancy or the dismissal and you don't see the bigger picture. And actually having someone with you know the experience and expertise like yourself mm -hmm. can actually open that scenario up and really give people the full information yeah. and the full impact of mm -hmm. what they're actually going to do in terms of the process or how that's going to affect the business. And sometimes that's really important to, to draw that out, that you don't maybe see that as, as you're just going down this one route so small businesses that you know probably have a limited budget and um, but they maybe are taking on staff um, and maybe feel that they can't justify HR costs what would you say to to those small businesses um, I would advise <laughs> again it's not selling but I would advise not to see HR as a cost yeah. um, yes of course there is a financial outlay um, for services and for advice and support um, however that can be tailored um, to, to meet the requirements and obviously um, very small organisations are unlikely to require an awful lot of my time so there's a different price structure for that organisation than there would be for a much bigger organisation. But fundamentally, um, HR can save you money. 
Um, so the cost of, I had one client that came to me after he dismissed somebody um, because he believed that this person had been given enough warnings about a particular behaviour um, and came in and had repeated that behaviour. So he dismissed her, um, got a letter from her that he didn't recognise as being a letter of appeal and felt that the appropriate action would be not to do anything. Um, so when I listened to the scenario um, and asked one question, did you do a disciplinary interview? Oh dear. And the answer was no. He says she'd had enough warnings. Those were warnings that were given not through a disciplinary process. It was just, Michelle, yeah. I'm giving you a verbal warning. Um, so the foundation upon that dismissal was not solid and the advice immediately was um, that you will fail a tribunal. Um, yeah. That is an automatic unfair dismissal. So you have to look then at what the options are for that organisation. And the immediate one is you need to reinstate yes. to protect your business. Um, but I understood that the client couldn't countenance that approach. Um, so the solution I came up with is that instead of me hearing a, a, an appeal, I would hear it as the original disciplinary. So that corrects the procedural flaw. So we're back to a kind of level playing field. There's still a risk of tribunal. Um, no tribunal um, or dismissal is going to be automatically fair. You can't judge what's going to happen yes. on the day. Um, however, you can protect the organisation as much as possible. So the risk to that business could have been in the tens of thousands. Of course. So taking on and, and getting some HR advice at very, very early stages is very cost effective in that scenario. But fundamentally, the other example that I talked about where I really work in strategic partnerships with organisations, um, HR improves efficiencies in organisations um, and it saves money in terms of labour turnover, absenteeism, all the negative um, kind of indicators of bad engagement within an organisation. Um, so HR can add value to the business as well. And as you say, it's being about proactive mm -hmm. rather than reactive mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and that can make a massive difference in the long run and even just the headache and stress that's yeah. taken off your hands, knowing that you've got someone in the background that's an expert, knows exactly, knows the law, knows the processes and has that all in place for you. Mm. And you can get on with doing your own business because you're not worried about, I mean, we would be big believers in outsourcing stuff that we're not expertise in because yeah. you can't be an expert in everything. And when you're, you know, you're setting up a business, you're, you've so much going on in yeah. your head that simple things like that can go by the wayside, but mm -hmm. they're actually really important mm -hmm. and can cause massive problems. I think small organisations um, probably are very intuitive, um, yes. you know, so in this particular client that I'm talking about, um, you know, he perceived, and the, the behaviour absolutely was incorrect, it, it would, had it been done correctly, it probably would have been very successful at tribunal, um, but he just naturally felt, you can't do this. Yes. And he has dismissed on those grounds. Yes. Without understanding that there is a process that that's followed. Nobody's saying that you shouldn't have dismissed, but you just must follow the correct the procedure. procedure. And I mean, I totally get what you're saying. I'm a small business, HR is my field, so I'm unlikely to make mistakes in that. But as far as other areas of my business, of course I outsource, you know, um, I have a mentor that I work with on a weekly basis that helps guide me, um, you know, in terms of, he, he asked a question if I would apply, if, you know, if, if you put 10 HR jobs down in front of me, would I apply for them all? And absolutely, I wouldn't. I'd be very, very selective. And he said, why are you therefore doing all HR services for all companies and all sectors of the market? And That's that really hit home to me. 
um you know so it he he really challenged me to think about what it is that I love to do and what's profitable for me and profitable by that he doesn't mean what makes me the most money what he means is what frees me up to do what I love to do of course and gives me a good work-life balance and that has to be the the strategic partnership and really helping businesses with their growth yeah and you just mentioned mentors there so you would advise anybody to get a mentor oh 100 percent. yeah you you there is so much you don't know um so you know this is a, a business mentor um but he also is an expert in relationships and building your business through referrals um so he really is trying to understand what exactly is my message yeah what is it that i want to do what does what do i want you to refer me for um yeah. now obviously a lot of people refer me for contracts because that's where they understand that this organization doesn't have hr support but for me it's about listening to the company that's saying we're doing really, really well. I'm really overwhelmed um, by how much the business has grown. I'm going to have to start looking and taking on maybe three to four staff. That's really the organisation that I'm going to add most value to. And when you're looking for a mentor, what sort of qualities and skills and expertise were you looking for when you when you set out on that journey? Or did you just, I, you know, I hear people, mentors just come into their lives mm, and they just, mm, it's a natural yeah. thing as well. You know, yeah. maybe they're not actively looking for someone but how did you know your mentor was right for you um i met him again through incentive yeah um and i'm still working with lisa and with my original cohorts we engage in a zoom call once a month so we um basically our accountability partners which is great because sometimes <laughs> you need someone yeah. just to say hold on a minute yeah. stop there what are you actually yeah. doing yeah. And what and, have you actually done? And, you and why said, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, you said you would work in your business. You said you would devote five hours in the month. What have you done? And if you haven't done anything, you've by and large still still yes. in that space. You may have gone out and got more clients, but in terms of developing your business, you have stood still. Um, so we actively um, operate as accountability partners. Um, but I just needed a wee bit more support um, yes. in certain aspects of what we were doing. So I engaged um, with Dan and we have a Zoom call once a week. Brilliant. And uh, as you say, it gives you the opportunity to talk about issues in your business, confidence, mm -hmm. all those sorts of skills that... Sometimes it's difficult to talk to somebody close or somebody in your business. You yeah. sometimes need that outside looking in um, yeah. a, a point of view, which is really interesting. Thank you so much for coming in today, oh, it's Louise. Been um, really good fun. If someone does want to contact you, what's the best way um, to to email or email, phone, LinkedIn? Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. Brilliant, um, brilliant, and and even just catch you for a coffee. <laughs> That's that's the best way um, because it's so much more informal um, and we're just having a chat. And that's, you know, in terms of how I operate with my clients, it is very informal. Yes. Um, you know, it's very practical led um, and we just have very strong relationships. Which is great. And that's exactly what you want because yeah. you want someone that you can trust, but that trust, you know. Trust is the critical yeah, piece, yeah. isn't it? Someone that you can trust and that you know has your back and that knows you know you can just leave them to it and they will go do what yeah. they need to do yeah. and, and keep you on the right track. <laughs> well, that's all from us today at Profile Tree TV, the content marketing agency in the Innovation Factory on the Springfield Road. Thank you so much for watching and we'll catch up with you soon.